0: Volume 2 Chapter 1 of Celestina This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith Volume 2 Chapter 1 the reflections of celestina when she was alone were full of bitterness and anguish it was in vain that she wearied herself with conjectures on the cause of her misfortune she could find no probability in any that presented themselves it could not be caprice nor that cruel delight which men have sometimes taken in wantonly inflicting pain and torturing by disappointment the hearts they have taught to love them for of such conduct she knew willoughby to be incapable it could not be a dispute with vavasour or any other young man for such however alarming must soon have been decided nor could it be any pecuniary difficulty that had thus divided them since willoughby in talking over their future prospects had related to her the situation of his fortune with the utmost clearness and precision it could hardly be a prior matrimonial engagement for from his infancy he had loved her he had repeatedly told her that he never had the least partiality for any other woman and he was truth and candour itself it could not be any impediment raised by the castle-norths for however great might be their displeasure and disappointment they had no power over willoughby's actions And he did not love them well enough to make it probable that their persuasions or remonstrances could induce him to give up the favourite project of his life, and abandon her, whom he so passionately loved, to disgrace and misery. Whatever was the cause, however, of the sudden resolution he had taken, misery was certain. She observed that in the dialogue which Cathcart repeated, as having passed between him and willoughby no mention was made of a probability of his return no hope thrown out that their union was rather suspended than put an end to all was dark and comfortless and in the mystery which surrounded the whole affair there was something of terror and apprehension which seemed more insupportable than the certainty of any evil except Willoughby's death. Cathcart, however, had given her a motive to support her courage in telling her that nothing but the knowledge of her bearing his loss without injury to her health or her affection for him could soothe or diminish the anguish with which Willoughby was himself oppressed. "'Let me endeavour, then,' said she, "'to give him this satisfaction.' as the last proof I shall perhaps ever be able to give him of my tender, my unalterable love. Condemned as I am to everlasting regret, dashed from the summit of happiness to long and hopeless sorrow for the rest of my life, let my resolution in suffering with calmness show that I should have deserved the happiness which heaven once seemed to have settled as my lot heaven only knows wherefore i am condemned to lose and lament it the solemn promise which willoughby had owned his mother had asked and received of him in her last moments now occurred to her perhaps it is for the intended breach of that promise cried she that we are punished yet from whence the ear that heard it the anxious maternal heart that obtained it a dust my benefactress comes not from the grave to claim it it was known only to her to her son and to me who is there who could enforce it now and to whom would willoughby listen after obviating all the objections i urged against its violation this fatal promise however had always hung heavy on the heart of celestina even in her happiest moments, and she seemed now to be paying the price of having ever consented to break it. Still, still the inexplicable mystery remained, and the hand from which the blow came that had divided her and Willoughby was equally hid in obscurity. When a misfortune, however heavy, is certain, The mind sinks resistless beneath it, and feeling all remedy ineffectual, it ceases all attempt to apply any. But this was not the case with Celestina. While the cause of her being torn from Willoughby was unknown, there appeared a possibility that it might be removed, and though he had held out no such hope in his conversation with Cathcart, her reason now seized this idea As her only resource he had besought her to bear their separation with patience he had hopes then surely that it would end he had entreated her not to forget her affection for him surely he had expectations then that he might again claim it a sanguine temper encouraged these faint rays of comfort which a few moments before seemed to be extinguished for ever the first shock was past. The tears she had shed had relieved her overburthened heart, and she prepared with some degree of serenity to go down to Mr. Thorold, Cathcart, and Jessie, and to consult with them on what she ought to do. When she again entered the room, the little group which were assembled in it, their melancholy and anxious looks, and the different expectations with which their meeting had been appointed, combined to affect her, and to shake the little resolution she had with so much difficulty acquired. She sat down, however, and Mr. Thorold, with a degree of fatherly tenderness, approached her and took her hand. "'My dear young friend,' said the excellent man, "'this dignified composure, Is worthy of your excellent understanding do you think me deserving the honour of being your adviser if in the present state of circumstances you feel that you want one i do indeed severely feel replied celestina faltering the necessity of a friend who is able to advise me and where dear sir can i find one so equal to it if you will but undertake the trouble well then replied mr thorold we will not go over the occurrences that have happened nor attempt to account for them some unforeseen events have divided you and my friend willoughby and i am very sure that whatever they are they must if irretrievable embitter the rest of his life he wishes you as i understand from mr cathcart "'to remain here at least till you have letters from him. "'Do you intend to do so?' "'I hardly know,' answered Celestina faintly. "'What I ought to do?' "'It seems to me,' said Mr Thorold, "'that whatever reason has had so much influence on him "'as to compel him to quit you "'should render your abode in his house improper.' i will return then sir since that is your opinion to the lodging i left at thorpe heath that will be very melancholy and unpleasant to you i fear it certainly will but what have i to do now but to learn to suffer local circumstances will have little power to add to the sorrow i must endure while uncertain of what is to become of mr willoughby Doubting whether I may not have been the cause that some evil has befallen him, and sure of nothing, but that I must be wretched if I never see him again. I would very fain comfort without deceiving you if I could. I hope you will see him again. Yet nothing surely but some very extraordinary event could have taken him from you. But you hear that he was well? That he promised to write to you? It is possible that letter may explain what all our conjectures can do little in clearing up. Let us leave them, therefore, and do you, my dear Miss de Mornay, resolve to fulfil his parting injunctions as far as prudence will permit? I cannot say I approve of your staying here or of your going back to indulge your uneasiness in the mournful seclusion of your cottage. Let me propose, therefore, a middle way, by which you will receive this expected letter without quitting the neighbourhood, and be ready to obey any wish of our dear Willoughby, without receiving it at Thorpe Heath, where you would have nobody to assist you in its execution. Will you go home with me? celestina who already felt the value of such a friend as she seemed to have acquired in mr thorold and who foresaw that she must lose jessie who could not stay long from her grandfather would willingly have embraced this offer she knew that willoughby had the warmest friendship for mr thorold and that he would probably approve of such a proposal but she was unacquainted with his wife And dreaded to intrude herself into a family where she might find only the master of it disposed to receive her. She objected therefore to the trouble she should give, and to the impropriety of introducing herself, thus unasked, to the acquaintance of his lady. But Mr. Thorold obviated all her objections, assured her she should have an apartment to herself, and that his wife would consider her as his daughter. His daughter as her sister, and Celestina, who could not think without pain of going alone to Thorpe Heath, which she had left with prospects so very different, and from whence her books and clothes had been removed, consented to go with Mr. Thorold, and to remain with him at least till she heard from Willoughby. It was then settled that at least part of the original errand which had brought Mr. Thorold to Alverstone should be completed, and that Cathcart and Jessie should be married, since her father was already waiting to give her away, and since Cathcart was to remain at Alverstone by the particular directions of Willoughby, on their parting. Celestina could not be present at the ceremony, but while it was performing, prepared herself with as much resolution as she could for her little journey. When they returned from the altar, she kissed in silence the weeping Jessie, who clung round her, unable to bid her adieu. She recommended to Cathcart the closest adherence to every injunction laid on him by Willoughby, and besought him to come himself over to her with the expected letter as soon as it arrived, and then, with faltering steps, went to the chaise, which was in waiting for her by Mr. Thorold's orders. He placed himself by her, and she was thus removed, probably as she thought for ever, from the house, of which, only a few hours before, she considered herself as the fortunate mistress. As she passed along the avenue, the bench under one of the great elms, where she had so often sat with Willoughby in their childhood, and where, only a few days before, he had been recalling those delightful times to her recollection struck her most it looked like a monument to the memory of lost happiness as the great gate of the park shut after the carriage she felt exiled forever from the only spot in the world that contained any object interesting to her and though little disposed to think of poetry almost involuntarily repeated oh unexpected stroke worse than of death must i then leave thee paradise thus leave thee native soil these happy walks and shades mr thorold to whom sorrow was sacred attempted not to call off her thoughts from their present mournful employment but glad to see that her sorrow broke not out in those violent and convulsive expressions Which many women would have given way to he contented himself with administering to her in silence all the offices of friendship and when they arrived at his house which was about five miles from alberston he got out and went in first to prepare his family for the reception of their unexpected visitor after a few moments he returned and assured her that both mrs thorold and his daughter would be happy to see her, and think themselves honoured by her abode with them. "'But,' added he, "'perhaps you had rather go to your own chamber than be introduced immediately to strangers?' Celestina had already repented of having accepted Mr. Thorold's offer, however friendly it was, and felt that in her present state of mind the most forlorn solitude would have been better for her than the restraint she must unavoidably submit to, and the inquiries that, if not by words, the looks of all who saw her would make into the cause of the strange revolution that had happened in her circumstances. But it was now too late to retreat, and she determined to go through at once a ceremony, the delay of which would not render it less distressing. She answered, therefore, with more steadiness of voice than could be expected, that she could not too soon avail herself of Mrs. Thorold's kindness, and was immediately introduced to her and her only unmarried daughter. Mrs. Thorold was what the world agrees to call a very good sort of woman, but one of those who are best described by negatives. She had no positive failings, But a sort of feminine pride, which made her very anxious that none of her neighbours, at least none of the rank of private gentlewoman, should have handsomer clothes, or better furniture, or a nicer house. And while she carefully guarded her own dignity, she indulged somewhat too much curiosity in inquiring into the minutest particular by which the consequence of others could be diminished or increased mr thorold whose strong understanding taught him to see and bear her foibles had taken the utmost pains to check in his daughters a propensity to imitate them the three elder had been married some years and were settled in the neighbourhood of london arabella the youngest was now about two-and-twenty rather pretty in her person and pleasing in her manners with much of her father's sense She had a little of the vanity of her mother, but it had taken another turn. Though she dressed fashionably, and her sisters always took care, by sending her the newest modes from London, to enable her to give the ton in that remote country, she piqued herself less on that advantage than on being reckoned extremely accomplished. In consequence of this rage, she played on several kinds of instruments mechanically, for she had no ear, and sung in a feigned voice; for nature had denied her a natural one in languages she was more successful under the instruction of her father. She had early been taught Latin, and that knowledge facilitated her acquiring the French and Italian, which she wrote and understood better than she spoke them. She took likenesses in crayons, painted landscapes in oil and the apartments were furnished with her worsted works and embroidery celestina had hardly gone through the first ceremonies of her reception than she found a relief from the inquisitive looks of the mother and daughter in admiring these performances you do my trifling productions a great deal of honour said miss thorold and your praise cannot fail of being very gratifying to me as I understand you are yourself so extremely accomplished. Indeed, answered Celestina, you have been misinformed. I can boast of no such advantage, but I am extremely fond of music and of drawing, and used to please a very partial friend by attempting them. Since her death, my time has passed in a very unsettled way, and I now have no motive to tempt me to recover what, in that desultory life i have lost of the little i knew miss thorold who had heard celestina represented as excelling was not sorry to find she possessed no such very great advantages over her and celestina to whom anything was preferable to conversation pressing her to sit down to the harpsichord she complied with that air of confidence which the certainty of excelling gives Until dinner, she continued to play sonatas and lessons, all of which Celestina failed not to applaud, though she had so little idea of what she heard that she could not have assigned one to its proper composer. Her thoughts were fled after Willoughby, and from the strange reverse she had experienced nothing had power to detach them. Dinner, tea and supper at length were over, The presence of Mr. Thorold prevented his wife from asking questions, which were every moment rising to her lips, and Celestina was permitted to retire to her own room at an early hour. The extreme fatigue she had suffered the night before, and the solicitude of spirit she had endured for so many hours, had so exhausted nature that she sunk into slumber, but it was disturbed and broken by hideous dreams. In the morning however she found herself better her mind had not yet recovered from its consternation but she could now think of all that had happened with more steadiness in the letter she expected from willoughby she had something to look forward to which might alleviate but could not increase her anxiety as whatever cleared up the mystery would she thought be a relief to her and certainty however painful She was sure she could endure better than wild conjectures and terrifying suspense. Chapter one.